asked me to fill in. <coughs> Let's take this moment, if all those would rise, if you can, because we're going to start off in God's Word. Today we're going to talk about Mark 4, starting in verse 21 to 23. And he was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? It is not brought to be put on the lampstand, for nothing is hidden except to be revealed. Nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has here ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. And he was saying, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night, and he gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows, how he himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And then he said, How shall we picture the kingdom of God, or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. With many such parables, he was speaking word to them. For by, or I'm sorry, so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his disciples. Go ahead and be seated. You know, we live in a world that brandishes truth, partial truths, and expects us to accept them as whole truths. I heard an interview the other day from a college student, and she was asked flat out, is it acceptable to cheat on an election? And she said, well, sure, if it gets you what you want. Americans use this phrases that sound good. They try to attempt to pull everybody in. But when you look at the phrase, the true meaning of these phrases is not accurate to the label that has been given to it. We live in a time that has garnered the phrases false news that depends on the public to accept one. No one is at fault. And there's not enough evidence of manipulation to significantly, significantly affect the truth. People in the world today are looking they look to the news sources, they look to talk radio shows, they look to podcasts, they look to the internet for answers because they are searching for the truth. Let's pray. O oh, glorious Father, we come before you now, we give you praise, we lift you up. We pray, Father, that this time of worship can be a time that we come before your throne, that we can learn 
Help us to better understand your word. Help us, most of all, Father, to not just hear, but do what it is that you would have us to do. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Can you handle the truth? Well, before we get into these verses, let's pause a little moment and ask the question, what is the truth? That's what everybody's seeking. So what is the truth? We know that if the truth is told, Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Now, if Jesus is the truth, then obviously what he says is the truth. And so we need to look at what he says. Mark chapter 1, verse 14, if we go back a few weeks, it says, Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. So Jesus preached the gospel of God. Jesus is the truth. Therefore, the gospel of God must be the truth because that's what he preached. When we look at the Greek for the word gospel, euangelion, is translated as good proclamation. Now, we've heard the phrase a lot that the gospel is good news, which is similar to this. News is a proclamation of what is going on, is it not? But that doesn't give us the answer. So, what is the gospel? Well, that, that alone would take a lot of sermons to be able to cover that in its entirety. A lot of sermons. Today I'm just going to break it down into four simplistic presentations. There are four proclamations that we need to be thinking about when it comes to the gospel. Number one, Jesus is the anointed king. We look at the Old Testament, and as we go through the Old Testament, everything that, is, everything that God did, everything that God had written, every prophecy made led up to the Messiah, to the king, to Jesus coming. And when we look at the New Testament and Jesus arrived, we see that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. We see that God anointed him as the king. We see that he is our Lord and Savior. Now, as we look at number two, Jesus is the crucified king. Now, we know God doesn't do anything the way man does it. When we look at kingdoms past, when the king dies, the kingdom usually dies. But God does things differently. Jesus died. But he died for our sins so that we could be brought into the kingdom. And he died because his kingdom was not an earthly kingdom. His kingdom was a spiritual kingdom. And it's the kingdom that is to come. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus died on the cross for our sins to bring us into that kingdom. Number three, Jesus is the resurrected king. Upon resurrection, this was the beginning of Jesus' reign as king, 
as Lord of our lives. And the beauty of this, the thing that we need to think about, is we serve a risen Savior. We serve a God that is alive. You look at so many religions, and they serve dead gods. They have to have the idol, because that's all there is. And they pray to oblivion. But we serve a risen Savior. We have a God that is alive and there for us. And that brings us to number four. The kingdom of God is at hand. How exciting is that? We know this because with most of the, not all, but most of the parables that Jesus talks about, he brings forth. How do I define the kingdom of God? We know the kingdom of God is is at hand because he taught his followers about the kingdom of God. He taught them the direction and where it it is going. You know, Mark chapter 4 is basically about the truth. And as I said, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the gospel. Therefore, the gospel is the truth. And when we look at these parables that he presents in Mark, we see that he is talking about the truth. Now, Charles went over the parable of the sower, those verses last week. He went over the parable of the sower. The the farmer goes out. This is the Erickson paraphrase. The farmer goes out and sows the seed. Well, that seed is the truth. And the ground that it talked about, some was rocky, some was hard. Uh, some was overcome with weeds, and then you have the good soil. That ground is our hearts. And so Mark is bringing out what Jesus has to say about his truth. His truth is presented to man. The grace of God is presented to man as a gift. And it's up to us to accept that gift. And that's what that portion was all about. Now, When you look at a lot of commentaries, they say that Mark did not list things chronologically. So when we look at these uh, parables that come in the portion that we're talking about today, as we look at these parables that come and you look at them in Luke, in the Synoptic Gospels, in Luke and in uh, Matthew, they appear in different places. So there must be a reason that Mark put these all together. And I think that reason is because they all talk about how we deal with the truth. How we should deal, but also how we deal with the truth. The gospel, the word of God, the truth. So let's start off. Long introduction, (laughs) but let's start off. Projection of truth. We look at Mark 4, verses 21 to 23. And he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? is, Is it not brought to be put on a lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor is anything being been secret, but that it would come to light. 
If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. As we look at this parable, we know that the lamp presents, uh, the tr- represents the truth. And we are the lampstands. Because what does the lampstand do? The lamp sets on the lampstand so that it's in position to give light to the room. We are the lampstand. God puts us in position to shine the light in the darkness of those around us so that they can see the truth. And we know that the truth can't be hidden. A lot of people try. But we know the truth will come out. Think about this. How long has the Bible been around? Thousands of years. Yet it still exists today. The truth cannot be hidden. It will come out in one way or another. And as Christ said, as he was entering Jerusalem that final week, and he was told to tone his disciples down, he said, even if you close their mouths, the rocks will cry out. God will find a way. So it's up to us to join him and be in that way. You know, I think uh, Jesus tells us about this parable because uh, he wants us to look at our purpose. Every item that we mess with from day to day has a purpose. Often we don't always use that item for its purpose. I was thinking about this and Sally gave me probably the best example. In the Erickson household, a steak knife is not just an eating utensil. It can loosen a screw. It can tighten a screw. It can open an envelope. It can open a box. It can pry something open. I drive her crazy because I use it for everything but what it was made for. It's it's kind of uh, interesting that way. And there... There's a lot of things we use, and if you think about it, there are a lot of things that we use that don't really fit. So I went out and I found some warnings. When uh, manufacturers have to put these warnings, warning labels on their products, you know we're not using the product right. Now these are the most obscure okay so uh, this one in the upper left hand corner of the stroller the warning it's hard to read though sorry but the warning says uh, remove child before folding okay Uh, the microwave do not use to dry pets that would have been an interesting one this darker one under the microwave Uh, You can't really see it, but it says, uh, do not iron the shirt while wearing. Do not hold the wrong end of a chainsaw. This wall is made of brick. Therefore, if you hit it, you may break something. Do not allow children to play in the dishwasher. In my day, it was always the refrigerator. Uh, this other one is, in case of fire, i got to get a little closer to see it, 
exit the building before tweeting about it. Caution, don't eat gum from the urinal. And the final one is do not breathe underwater. It's kind of silly. My favorite, and I couldn't find it, is a warning that came on a toilet bowl scrubber, not for oral use. But people are funny that way. You know, we use things in our lives for purposes that they were not designed for. So when we look at the truth, the truth is to be in us to reflect to the world. That is the purpose of the truth. That is the purpose that we should use the truth for. How many times, though, do Christians, do churches, preach a different gospel? How many times do we hear one of these preachers preaching a sermon that is self-gratifying? When we look at this, this is an eclipse of the truth. This is covering the truth. They are perverting the gospel of God. We were not given the truth to do with as we please. It is not to be used when it sounds good. It is not to be changed to suit our needs in life. I remember an old analogy, and I'm not sure where it came from, but they said that we are the moon and Jesus is the sun, both S-O-N and S-U. We are to reflect Jesus. Therefore, we are to reflect the truth in all situations. We are to reflect the truth. So, verses uh, 21 to 23 talk about this, us reflecting the truth. So, let's look at 24 and 25. This is the growth of the truth. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. For whoever has to him, more shall be given, and whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken away from him. This is a little complicated, not real bad, a little complicated, but basically, uh, Tad brought it up. It's saying, hey, what you get out of it is what you put into it. When we look at Bible study, if we just read without thinking, like we're reading a novel, we're not going to get much out of it. We may pick up a thing here or there, but we're not going to get much out of it. We need to be able to focus. We need to be able to read a passage, pay attention to what's going on around it, look at what it points to in other portions of the Bible, and let God talk to us as we read that. Sermons, Sunday school, Uh, commentaries, all of these are good things. But, remember what the Bereans in Acts did. 
when they heard the message, what did they do? They went home and looked in the verses to see if that man was saying what God wanted him to say. So that's your homework for today. You're all to go home and look at the, these verses and study them to see if I'm on the right track. Bible study is an in-depth. That is how God talks to us. Have you focused on a sermon and been able to walk away and say, man, that hit home. That's the next area is worship. I've heard so many people come out and say, well, I don't go to that church anymore because I never got anything out of the worship service. They didn't get anything out of the worship service because they didn't put anything into it. We do not come here to be entertained. We come here to worship God. So when we sing, it should bring us closer to God. That's the purpose. When we take communion, it should bring us to the feet at the throne of God. That's the purpose. When we hear the word of God, we should focus on it so much to see what God is telling us. As we listen, it's going to tell you something more than it's going to tell me. But it has something for all of us. God will not let his word go void. And finally, as far as getting in what or getting out what you put in, relationship. Our relationship with Jesus Christ, we only get out of it what we put into it. That goes with any relationship. If you're married and you don't talk to your spouse all day, all night, if you don't listen to what your spouse has to say, you're going to grow apart. It's the same with your kids. It's the same with your friends. It's going to be the same with Jesus. Not because he leaves, because he is listening. He is talking. But we're going to grow apart because we're not paying attention. We're not praying. We're not studying. We're not listening to what he has to say to us. A relationship is two-sided, and the only way it's going to grow is if we put effort into it. But this doesn't just talk about that, right? It talks, it will be measured unto you. What does that mean, it'll be measured unto you? One day, we will face judgment. How we studied God's word, how we worship God, our relationship with Jesus Christ. When those are strong, that puts us in the book of life. When Judgment Day comes, I don't know about you, but when Judgment Day comes, I want my name in the book of life because I don't want him going over everything that I did in life. Because it'd be embarrassing. But in order to do that, we have to live that way. And it finishes up with the idea that the more we gain, the more we will have. I put it in those terms because that's pretty straightforward, right? The more knowledge you gather, the more you're going to have. But also, it makes it a little easier. As you gain knowledge, it makes it a little easier to gain more because your understanding is, is there. Effort. When you put forth effort, the more effort you put into something, the more you're going to get out of it. Skill. 
the more you practice, the more that skill becomes fine-tuned and honed to where you're, you're doing what God wants you to do. Next is the spreading of the truth. As we look at these last parables, verses 26 to 29, and he, Jesus, was saying, here we go, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil, and he goes to bed at night, and he gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows, how he himself does not know. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts the sickle, puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. We don't see the growth in someone's life. Our job is to plant the seed. Our job is to water. Our job is to nurture. Our job is to harvest. God's job is to grow. He's to give the increase. And sometimes we plant the seed, but we don't see the watering, the nurturing, or even the harvest. Or we may water, we may do any part within that. We may get the joy of harvesting. Everybody wants to harvest. You know, the tough work is the planting, watering, and nurturing. Everybody wants to harvest. But sometimes it can take years. When uh, Sally and I got together, my, uh, none of my family went to church. I did not, I was not raised in a home that, uh, that knew and loved God. I prayed for a lot of years. 30-some years before my mother finally accepted Christ. That's a long germination, but we've got to have the patience. We should never give up. You have to remember that Christ stands at the door and knocks. He doesn't go, okay, nobody's answering. He stands there and continually knocks until the ultimate decision has been made by you to answer that door. So we have to have patience. We have to be able to wait for God to bring forth the fruit of the vine. As we look in verses 30 to 32, and he said, how shall we picture the kingdom? Again, how shall we picture the kingdom? Or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. We need to remember always, whenever we're talking to anybody, even if we are talking in passing, a simple comment can produce fruit. Something small, a simple comment. If it's the truth can produce fruit. Uh, I read about this man who stopped on the way out from a sermon and said to the preacher, you probably don't remember me. Uh, I heard you about 20 years ago when you were in this small church. And I came out and I asked you a question. And you answered that question. And the minister's like, I 
had no clue who this guy was. I don't remember the conversation, but he seemed to remember it word for word. He said, you answered that question. I dwelled on your answer for weeks on end, and I prayed about it. Because of what you had to say, that was the catalyst for me to move forward with God in ministry. So something that the minister doesn't ever remember saying. But just a brief answer to the guy's question, because it was prudent, that guy went on to be in ministry. But by the same token, if the comment isn't a truth, it could be detrimental. Now, this may be a little rough for me to get through, so bear with me. My older brother, he was a stepbrother. I didn't come to know him until I was 14. He moved into the house. He had left uh, his mom and me and uh, came to live with his dad, so he came to live with us. I was very, very close to my older brother for about six years. Then I met Sally, and I became a Christian. That divided us. He was very angry, and I never really understood that. And for years, we didn't talk about it because he was a lawyer. So every time I tried to talk about it peacefully, he got on his high horse <laughs> and would go at it. A couple of years ago, I get a call. It was in May of 2018. I get a call that he was just diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Now, being in the medical field, I knew that. I wouldn't be lying. So I spent every weekend, every other weekend, going up to visit him. It wasn't long. I think it was the end of May when he was in the hospital. And so I'd go up and visit him, and I had opportunity to talk to him about God. And what I found out kind of surprised me. It was like, Lord, why didn't this happen years ago? When he was young, he went to church with his grandmother. And his grandmother... Uh, in church, everybody in that church would be all excited and everything, and they, uh, he, he liked the atmosphere, he liked what was going on, he talked to the minister, and the minister said, well, son, I think he was in his early teens, well, son, go home, pray the sinner's prayer, Jesus will come into your life, and your life will be changed. So he went home that night knelt at his bed. He said the sinner's prayer. And he said, I just sat there on my knees going, well, when's it going to happen? Why am I not all joyful? Why am I not rolling in the aisle? What's going on? He determined from that that Jesus didn't want him. He decided, well, Jesus didn't come into my life. I do not have him in my life. Therefore, he doesn't want me, so I don't want him. Now, fortunately, as he got older, even though I wasn't able to say anything to him, he told me that, that probably the best thing I did was to just not waver from my belief and not badger him to become a Christian. Because he said later in life, he started praying for Jesus. And he started reading the Bible, and he started to understand that what they had before was not reality 
that sometimes, when Jesus, even when Jesus is in our life, we struggle. Sometimes we suffer. Sometimes we're ridiculed. And he realized this. Last time I saw my brother at his bedside, he let me pray for him. Now, I feel that on the day of resurrection, I will too. God only knows that, but I've got to live with that hope that I was able to do something. But I look back at this minister. And he did not do a very good job at explaining to my brother what Christ was all about. And that happens in our world. We've got to speak the truth. We've got to be able to plant that seed, no matter how small it is. We've got to be able to plant that seed so that God has something to work with to grow. But we also have to be patient, and we can't give up. We've got to continue to work. In conclusion, you know, Mark wraps up uh, these, these group of parables in verses 33 to 34, and he says, With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them, so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Now, as a, dr a true disciple of Christ, we are given the understanding of the parables. We are given the understanding of God's word. God will give us what we need at the time of need. As long as we are in his word, and as long as we are fo focused on that. But we have to pay attention. I want to leave you with this challenge. Mark, chapter 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end. You have heard the truth. You hear it weekly here. Therefore, it is your responsibility to follow Matthew 28. It is your responsibility to develop a relationship with Christ. It is your responsibility to be the farmer sowing the seed. To be the lamp on the lampstand. It is your responsibility to touch everybody you come in contact.